This is Soccer City, and last Thursday, the New York City Football Club announced that President John Patrickoff would vacate that position in December at the conclusion of a three-year contract. Patrickoff will then join the NYCFC Board of Governors. Three days before the announcement, I sat down with John Patrickoff at the NYCFC offices in Midtown Manhattan. You heard part one a week ago, part two coming up in a moment. Ben Sweat is one of six NYCFC players to be summoned by their national teams during this international break. For Sweat, it's his first call-up to the U.S. men's national team, and it almost didn't happen. My one-on-one with the 27-year-old defender coming up. Paul Tenorio, he's developed a reputation for being an American soccer insider. He writes for The Athletic. And I'll link up with Paul to talk candidates for the head coaching vacancy with the U.S. men's national team, designated players at MLS, TAM, and a whole lot more. Well, for the second week in a row, I want to welcome in the president of the New York City Football Club, John Patrickoff. I look at your background, and I find it fascinating from the standpoint, and, and the first thing I want to ask you is, as a New York City resident lifetime, the program we talked about last week, and then you're being named president of NYCFC in 2016. This all must be uh, rather grand for you because it's in your it's in your city. Um, well, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's been it's been uh, a terrific. I mean, it's coming up on, on three years, and and um, you know, it, it's been a great three years. I mean, I think that uh, I've been fortunate to to grow up in New York and spend most of my life in New York and. Um, obviously, I love the city, and, and it's been uh, it's played such a meaningful part in my, in, in my life. And, and so, uh, for me to be able to be part of an organization like NYCFC um, that's doing so much great work and has done so much great work um, is it's an honor. I mean, I really do consider it an honor. You're given a lot of credit for what you did with the Tribeca Film Festival, which at one point was just considered a local thing that uh, pundits figured wouldn't last beyond the year you started it and now it's become a global enterprise and then there was that interim period I, i'm curious the expansion season for new york city fc 2015 before you came on board were you watching things closely i mean i was paying attention to it but it wasn't it wasn't high on my on my radar i have to admit i mean it was um, i think people you know some of the fans of the club know or all the fans of the club know that you know i i, I wasn't somebody who kind of grew up in the soccer world or professional sports world like a lot of of, of club presidents are and people that work up through the front office so um i come from a, a little bit of a different background than than many um but nycfc was definitely on my radar um i think that what occurred to me uh during 2015 was i really started to see the growth of of soccer um take off in this country and, and the opportunity that i thought lay ahead so um that's really what what started to convert me and then and then just opportunity arose and timing as as so many things in life um there was an opening here and and uh got connected with with nycfc and you know it, it worked out well john patrickoff our guest president of new york city fc so you've been here since early in 2016 patrick vieira was the head coach at the time Boy, a lot has changed since. New training facility. I mean, there's been a lot going on. Can you uh, just sort of document, if you would, uh, some of the the progress of the club in that time? Yeah, I I think it's a it's it's been um, it's been really an exciting uh, three years, and I think that you know I'm the first one to, to acknowledge and realize that you know the stadium project itself is is kind of continually um, the biggest 
project that this club needs to undertake, and I, I think we've made really good progress on that front, although um, obviously there's, there's no major developments to report now. Um, I think that we're continuing to make really good progress, and I've been able to share that, I think, um, over the past you know, few months and in a couple different instances. But, but the club itself um, is having gr- great success. I mean, I start really with um, – what's happened on the field, I think, with Claudio and, and, and the rest of the team. I think we've built an incredible squad. If you think about the number of players that have come in that are new, that are, um, it's really been a transformation. Um, you mentioned the Etihad City Football Academy, but that was a, a project that, that started under, uh, under you know, I guess my watch, but but during the three years that I've been here, um, a lot of other people really took the lead there, in particular, you know, our Vice Chairman Marty Edelman and, and John Stemp, who's our, our Chief Infrastructure Officer, a whole host of other people, but um, it's been great to be part of the club um, when we went from a facility at SUNY Purchase, which we were renting, and, and, and they took good care of us, but we really were, were, were kind of temporary residents there to this great permanent facility that means so much to the players, means so much to the coaches, but also is going to inspire us to be able to do more for the soccer community. Um, brought on great new partners. Uh, the New York City Soccer Initiative, I think, which we're so proud of um, and all the great community work we're doing. But most importantly, the fans. I mean, I think for for me as club president um, and, and for all the great you know team that we have here in the front office, I think that I think the relationship with our fans is in a is in a great place, and that to me has been um, the most important thing. I think I've wanted to try to help have as you know transparent in a relationship as we can with the fans. Um, I think that we've seen incredible away travel, and so we've seen some staggering numbers over 500 fans traveling to Philadelphia. I think we have over 300 traveling to DC in a couple of weeks. I mean, these are numbers that. We're having a little hard time getting exact specifics on, on kind of how this ranks us, but it, but it's quite frankly at the top of the MLS in terms of away fan travel. I think that's a great indication. And then when you get to Yankee Stadium, I think that we have a great, incredible core fan base. You know, people especially will reflect back on that on that derby that in August that was just spectacular, and the number of people that wrote to me or called me afterwards and said that was one of the best sporting event environments I've been to in New York ever. Um, it was. It was. Surpri- I mean, I felt the same way. But it's always great to hear it from yeah. from fans who who are kind of there and are supporters of the club and who've seen a lot of sport events and been around for a long time to say that our fans are. You I know, mean, listen. There are a lot of really smart soccer fans in New York City. I think one of the things we've really tried to do, especially over the last kind of eighteen months, is make sure that this club is is really serving the, the core soccer fan. So that group of uh, supporters and those that have come on along the way since 2015, uh, they have a chief concern about the stadium, and you've indicated this has been a process. Uh, And before your arrival, there were some things said that made it seem that something may have happened before now. But what um, what are some words of comfort you can give to supporters regarding the stadium right now? I mean, I think one of the only things that I really am able to say is you know, that we continue to make really good progress. I think we're closer than we've ever been to the stadium. Um, and that we have people here, you know, I spend some of my time on the stadium, but the reality is that there are other people here who spend 100% of their time on the stadium. And so, um, you know, we've got a really experienced team. Um, we work with a lot of people who really kind of have been in the New York real estate world for a long time. Um, we've got a lot of people in the organization that have built major facilities, and so there's a lot of dedicated resources, a lot of focus, um, and like I said, I think we're closer than we've ever been. So you literally have people that wake up in the morning, maybe they read the paper, go on the Internet, but from that moment on to the 
remainder of the day they're they're thinking stadium 100 percent, absolutely yeah well john patrickoff has been our guest he is the uh, new york city fc president uh, it's been a pleasure john let's not make this our last time on soccer city together thanks a lot glenn appreciate it and thank you for everything you're doing for the club and uh for soccer fans around the city i mean i think that that one of the, in my view um one of the biggest areas and most important areas for, for growth of soccer in this country and, and, and MLS in particular, and, and of course for NYCFC, is kind of the, the network of, of, of media support we have. And so I'm appreciative of all the, the amateurs who are out there, kind of as, as bloggers and, and, and who are running their podcasts. It's a huge, important part of kind of our, our overall community. And then, of course, for yourself and, and the other you know professional media outlets that are out there that are, that are covering the sport. I think that is one of the biggest and most important areas. And so um, I was proud. Um, you mentioned the Wynn documentary, or you've mentioned kind of everyone's seen, I think, what Man City's done this year with, with the Amazon series, you know, all or nothing. Um, I, I think this is a big part of what the sport um, will continually embrace, which is, you know, giving great access to, to, to the club, to players. Um, and I think that's what that fans want, and, and I understand that I think that's what fans deserve. And so um, that's a, a credit you for, for being a big part of that. That's the outgoing New York City FC president, John Patrickoff. A week ago Monday, New York City FC back, Ben Sweat was chosen to his first U.S. men's national team camp by interim head coach Dave Sarakin. There'll be a couple of friendlies against Colombia and Peru. And the camp, it's being held in Tampa, which is just down the road from Ben's hometown of Palm Harbor, Florida. Ben, congratulations. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Glenn. I appreciate it. Well, I would imagine the fact that it's so close to home, that, that's got to be comforting at least a little bit. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's pretty funny, you know, like all the places, that, you know, national team travels and they play these friendlies, you know, whether it's seven in Europe or anywhere else in the States. And, it, you know, my first camp happens to be in, in Tampa. So it's, it's a, it'll be a special, special occasion for sure. All right, I'd like you to take us back to the moment. It's been a week now, but you found out, do you get called? Do you get an email? Do you get a text? How does that go? Um, it was just, you know, back and forth between, you know, them calling, you know, all of our staff members, you know, my agent finding out, um, you know, and then obviously, you know, the doc, the, you know, the, the national team doctor checking in on me, um, you know, so it was just kind of, a, you know, a bunch of little, little ways I found out and, you know, I eventually got the, you know, the confirmation email and, you know, it was just, was super excited. Um, it was really emotional. Um, you know, I've worked so hard, you know, these, you know, my entire career, especially these past few years since being with New York. And, you know, it's nice to finally, um, nice to finally, you know, get an opportunity like this. So you, so you had all these like little hints, but you just weren't quite certain. Right, right. So I, you know, I'm, you know, I know I made the preliminary roster and then, um, you know, after the game on Saturday, I was worried because I hurt my back. Um, you know, the, the doctor had checked in on me. He had called our trainers and our staff, and, you know, our staff was checking in on Kev to making sure, you know, I was good to go if I did get called in, and then my agent found out, and I found out from my agent. So it was, it was just a bunch of bunch of different scenarios. Yeah, I have to figure if Dave Sarakin's calling, he's not trying to uh, get recommendations for restaurants in the local Tampa area. Yeah, That's right, awesome. exactly. Did, uh, do you have any so, indication of your positioning, fullback or central defender? Uh, you... We know you've played both, mostly fullback with New York City. 
Uh, I mean, I would assume they're they're bringing me in as a as a left back. You know, we have two right backs, two right sided central uh, defenders, two left sided central defenders, and two left backs on the roster. So, you know, I would assume that's a position they've been looking for 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 quite some time now. So, um, you know, I'm hoping to go in there and you know fulfill their needs, and you know, we'll see what happens at the end of the at the end of the camp. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You came in as a trialist with New York City FC last year before the uh, 2017 season, signed a contract in February that year. But I I thought you played a majority of your minutes at center back trying out for the team, but then you eventually made your MLS debut as a fullback against Columbus, the team that originally drafted you. Do I have that right? Um, I think it was 50-50. I know I played like the first game against Jacksonville at center back, and I think I played one more game and. Um, in uh, Arizona during preseason where I played center back. Um, but I know they brought me in as, a, as wanting to be a left back, but I know they needed another left-sided center back during the preseason, so I was able to fulfill that position. Um, and it only benefited me, you know, having been able to play two positions. Um, it's it, it, it's always good for players, and, you know, it, it's it's worked out, so... Well, that was a benefit recently when you moved into the center back position against Chicago. The last win for New York City is Dome Toron wanted a left-footed, left-central defender. So that versatility really, uh, well, has its advantages for you. Yeah, right. You know, so I, you know, it only benefits me if I, you know, continue to learn the, the center back position. You know, left back is my main position, but, um, you know, I, I want to continue to learn and get better at center back, you know, because as I get older and older and older, um, you know, depending on how my body reacts, you know, it's, you know, left back is a lot of running and, a, you know, a lot of getting up and down. So, you know, maybe later in my 30s, you know, I could switch to center back and, you know, it's always an option. Ben Sweat, our guest, uh, invited into the U.S. men's national team camp, his uh, first appearance at a camp and uh, hopefully a, a chance to get his first cap with the uh, friendlies against Colombia and Peru. And Peru just added Alexander Collins. So... I know you both you both love attacking out of the back. So maybe yeah, if you're both right. playing at the same time there'll be a confrontation. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll tackle him or something. A little friendly <laughs> tackle. <laughs> but it's nice for, no, did, for I Collins. Did see, I did see that news this morning, so I'm excited to see him when we play him in um, in Connecticut. Ben you uh I I would like to get your thoughts on, on your development. Uh Ever since the U.S. men's national team actually failed to qualify for Russia, that, the development methods, they're, they're discussed. I'm just wondering, as a, as a young lad, how did soccer come to you? Was it your parents, siblings, friends? I mean, what were you doing um, with the soccer ball when you were five and six years old? You know, I think it was just something all, like every kid my age did. And, um, you know, I happen to be one, you know, like my other two brothers, you know, we, we enjoyed it. We were good at it. And. Um, you know, my other two brothers stuck with baseball and, you know, I ended up sticking with soccer and, um, you know, I got to a point where, you know, in high school, um, you know, college teams were looking at me. So I started to take it really serious and, you know, I went, you know, I went to a good university, University of South Florida and, um, you know, that was one level. And then, you know, I knew I wanted to play professional, you know, ever since I was younger and, you know, that was the next level for me. And, um, you know, since having a little up and down my first few years as a professional and, finally getting to a place, um, you know, where I can, you know, settle in and, and grow at New York City FC. Um, my next level is, you know, the national team. That's always been on the list as well. So that's that's something else. It's another. It's a new challenge and a new opportunity for me. 
Yeah, so your first MLS games within New with New York City in 2017, where you've now made 53 appearances over the course of, of two seasons. Prior to that, Tampa Bay, uh, the Rowdies for three seasons. You were drafted by Columbus, but you never really got that regular chance uh, in the top tier of the league till New York City. Uh, is it something maybe you did to improve, or are you one of those players where maybe uh, it's an acquired taste? What do you think was holding you back at that moment? Um, you know, I think a lot of young players and, uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of players like me, you know, look at Sebastian, uh, you know, Abiega, for example, you know, he was, you know, he played over in Europe, you know, he's with youth national teams. Um, but he was, you know, inconsistent with MLS, but he's, he's a good player. And all he needed is the right, the right time, the right team. And, you know, look what he's done. Look at the, you know, he's been outstanding this year. Um, and there's a lot of players like that, that, maybe slip through the cracks, you know, with just how the American system is sometimes. And, um, you know, I was fortunate to never give up, um, you know, and I got a, a great opportunity with New York and, you know, I took advantage of it. And now I have a great opportunity with the full, you know, U.S. men's national team. Um, so I plan on taking advantage of that as well. You know, that's the next step for me and in, in my growth and development um, is to get to that next, that next level. And that's with the, with the national team. At 27 years old, you're going into this camp uh, as as one of the elder statesmen, at least age-wise. So uh, it, it it has been a, a lot of time that you've been waiting for this chance. But uh, what about the, the age? Do you feel like, wow, this this opportunity this week is, is, is one I really have to take advantage of? Yeah, no, of course. I mean, um, you know, I'll fortunately be around for, you know, one more World Cup possibly in my career. Um you know, so that is another goal, you know, if I continue to do well and, you know, and uh, grow and, you know, be successful with not only New York, but, you know, if I keep getting called back in the national team. Um, so we're just going to take one thing, one, you know, one step at a time, you know, one, this camp, and then, you know, we're not going to look ahead. Um, but it's, you know, it could open, you know, a lot of, a lot of doors for me if I go in there and I, I do what I've been doing with New York and, you know, work hard and, you know, you know, and, uh, you know, it's going to be great to represent my country at the end of the day, um, you know, and, and show the country, you know, show people who don't know me what I have to offer, you know, as a left back. One of the oddities here too, is that in a way you're performing or trying out for a coach that hasn't been named yet. And I, I know that's not going to affect how you uh, go at things or prepare, but the, that is kind of odd, right? Um, I mean, it's different, you know, but, um, you know, I, I, you know, I think everyone is connected, you know, I mean, whether regardless who the head coaches next, next year, um, you know, if I go in and do well, you know, the word will spread and whoever comes in will be aware of me, you know, the assistant coaches, the coach, they're not just going to roll over all the coaching staff there. Um, so I have to go in there and I have to impress every single one of them and earn the respect of, you know, each and every coach at this camp. Well, Ben, I know on the broadcast side, we've been uh, calling for this for quite some time, ever since you emerged in 2017. And I know uh, the New York City family is very proud of you, very excited for you, and I hope you get that first cap on this trip. Yeah, I'm hoping as well. Um, you know, it'd be nice. It'd be an extra cherry on top if I got it in Tampa, you know, in front of the, the home crowd. So we'll see. All right, Ben Sweat, everyone. Thanks and good luck, Ben. Awesome. Thanks, Glenn. I appreciate it. Five of Ben Sweat's teammates also have the honor of representing their countries during this break. Ismail Tajiri Shradi with his second call-up to Libya. Maxime Cheneau, Luxembourg. 
uh, Ronald Matarita, Costa Rica, Alexander Collins, Peru, and Jesus Medina with Paraguay, and their new coach, Juan Carlos Osorio, who at one point appeared to be a candidate for the U.S. men's national team position. One of the topics with our next guest. We want to welcome in one of the uh, soccer writers for The Athletic, Paul Tenorio, with us now on Soccer City. Paul, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. I think the first thing I really want to focus on is the search for a U.S. men's national team coach. I mean, that's been ongoing. You wrote recently that the general manager, Ernie Stewart, has started the interview process and that the Federation would like to have someone in place by November the 1st. Do I have that all accurate? Well, I don't know if the person will be in place by November 1st. What they hope is to have a candidate selected by November 1st internally. And and from that point on, uh, the timeline becomes a little bit more flexible depending on that person's job. So what's your assessment of this whole thing? Uh, Bruce Arena resigns pretty shortly after the uh, elimination from any uh, World Cup hopes uh, in Russia. Dave Sarakin, his longtime assistant, both on the club and national team level, uh, takes over as the caretaker, and he's still on the job almost a year later. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I think it's twofold. Uh, First, I think it's a a missed opportunity. I think that's the biggest thing to look at. Um, Talking to a couple people um, in the soccer world uh, who are familiar with the U.S. national team, and, you know, one of the things that we've kind of come to the conclusion of is, the the positive there's not a positive to missing the world cup but once you miss the world cup you're given something that national teams don't often get and the u.s national team very rarely has had and that is not having to worry about the next world cup which means you have time you have time to and you have an excuse to reset things strip it down to the bone and build up from there and the U.S., I think, in some ways has wasted that opportunity. Any idea who has been interviewed or who the leading candidates are? Uh, do you pretty much have the same list that uh, we've heard, like a Burhalter? Yeah, I think Burhalter is probably the leader in the clubhouse from everyone I've spoken to. Uh, a lot of people feel like he's the natural fit. Uh, I know that uh, you know Jeff Carlisle from ESPN reported that Peter Vermees has not been contacted. Jesse Marsh has not been contacted. I've been told Greg Vanny in Toronto has not been contacted. Uh, so those are three top domestic candidates who has not been, have not been contacted. Oscar Pereja uh, denied the report that he had an interview with U.S. Soccer. So you're, by kind of process of elimination here, uh, we, are, um, we are striking through some coaches. Greg Berhalter only declined to comment when asked if he had been interviewed or if U.S. Soccer had contacted him. So um, I think we're getting a pretty clear idea that Greg Berhalter is probably the favorite to take over the job for U.S. soccer. Paul Tenorio from The Athletic, our guest. Uh, I know you're working on a piece on Peter Vermees, who grew up in Delran, New Jersey, played at Rutgers University, and so he's got a metropolitan area background, but uh, so, such success at Sporting KC. So did that uh, subject ever come up when you sat down with him? Oh, yeah. We spoke uh, we spoke in depth about U.S. soccer. You know, I think, you know, the one thing that, that stands out to me about Peter and, and there's a theme in this piece I'm writing is um, you know, Peter's attention to detail. He cares a lot about every single small detail within the organization at Sporting Kansas City. And I think that's what's led to such success. He's had control over those details. And uh, I think that's why it would probably be difficult for Peter Vermees to take the coaching job or be considered for the coaching job at U.S. soccer. Um, 
you know, right now it's no longer the position that it was when Jurgen Klinsmann held the job where he had full power as coach and technical director. Um, I think Peter Vermees would need that kind of power at U.S. soccer, but uh, he certainly has his opinions about what's gone wrong in U.S. soccer and how to fix it. And I think, you know, the big theme from Peter was that, you know, there's got to be a forward-thinking uh, organization. They've got to stop looking back at what's gone wrong and start to make a plan and an identity and a culture within U.S. soccer that, that currently, in his mind, doesn't exist. Now, there's another local guy. Uh, he played at LIU Brooklyn, uh, did a lot with the Metro Stars, was a fantastic striker for them. Uh, he's now the head coach of the Portland Timbers, Gio Savarese. You put out a, a recent story on, on, on Gio. What did you glean from your talk with him? I think Gio is, is a guy who, who kind of has taken an interesting approach to, to his team. You know, he wanted to make the Timbers a little bit more tactically flexible, um, not and not just formationally, right? It's, it's about different ways and styles of playing, and I think um, that's been a process that's taken a little bit more time than uh, than maybe even he anticipated. And and we've seen some of the ups and downs that the Timbers have had as a result of that. But he he seems very calm, uh, very in charge, and and you know he's adjusted well. He said to MLS, "There's there's certainly differences in the level of player, the pace of play, the pace of decision making uh, for for coaches and players in MLS." Coming off a big win and uh, in a playoff position and maybe a team that could do some damage uh, in the postseason. One final thing, uh, Paul. I think the thing I want to ask you, because uh, uh, you made a pretty big deal of it and are continuing that story, the designated player. Uh, teams in MLS have three DP spots. There, You wrote a story that uh, MLS is considering either eliminating the third DP or uh, or adjusting it. Uh, you didn't seem to favor that. Can you tell me why and where that is at right now in MLS? Well, for me, it's it's a silly notion to uh, to eliminate the DP spot or cap it. And and owners are trying to sell this idea that you know because TAM has been so successful for the league, it shows that TAM level players and more TAM level players um, will improve the product more than just having three big name DPs on the field. That may be true. Um, but as the rules currently exist with three DP spots, you can sign a player at TAM level money with that third DP spot. There is nothing in the rule book stopping you from capping that spot at $1.5 million. So what's really happening is those owners are telling teams like LAFC, like the Galaxy, like Atlanta, like Toronto, like NYCFC, that you can't spend as much money as you want to spend as an owner of one of those teams. That's, that doesn't make sense to me. Uh, you are not altering at all the way that rosters can be built for you if you don't want to spend those high numbers, uh, but you are taking away one style of roster building within MLS. Uh, it's a silly idea. It's a bad idea. It is a dishonest way of trying to sell the idea uh, by, by talking about making the league better. Uh, it, it, it's a bad idea. It's not moving the league forward. Um, all it's doing is telling the most ambitious owners in the league that they can't spend the money out of their pocket that they want to spend. It has no impact on the pockets of any other owners. And, in fact, a lot of those owners have benefited from the, the, the product that Toronto and Atlanta and LAFC and NYCFC have put on the field. So uh, just, a, just a really, really, really bad idea all the way around, in my opinion. All right, that's Paul Tenorio. Follow him at Paul Tenorio. 
read him at The Athletic. Yes, it's a subscription service. I'm telling you to put the money down if you're into soccer in this country. Hey, Paul, uh, thanks. Great description of everything, and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Sounds good. Thanks so much for having me, Glenn. So during the course of our chat, uh, we mentioned Gio Savarese's alma mater, LIU Brooklyn, the Blackbirds. A disturbing announcement came this week. It's bye-bye Blackbirds in men's and women's soccer following this season. The programs will combine with LIU Post and compete on the Long Island campus instead of Brooklyn. The tradition on the men's side, immense. On the women's side, I started that program in 1996 with some of the strongest women I have ever met. People will lose jobs. Students will be displaced. I had one of my former players write to me, a Caucasian from a suburban community. She said, quote, I, like most of my teammates, chose LIU for the culture. The culture at this institution is a culture based on diversity. On the heels of our current climate in the United States where diversity, or the lack thereof, is a central topic, LIU President Kim Klein called it an historic day, when in fact, it is a dark day. And that'll do it for Soccer City, heard each week on WNYE New York and worldwide on the TuneIn app. I'm Glenn Crooks. Enjoy your day.